Hello, my name is Thomas. And I'm Harry. And this is the official podcast of the Scottish fantasy football community. Uh, this is the third part of our four-part series with regards to the season preview for Fantasy Football Scotland. First off, I'll plug our audio platforms and social media. So first of all, you can, spy, you can find us. You can find us on Spotify and YouTube uh, just by searching Scottish Fantasy Football Community Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at, at @sffantasycom or on Reddit at r slash fantasycom. Uh, then we've got our mini league, which has between 20 to 30 users. Yeah. With And you can join that using the code capital U1, lowercase n, and capital A, capital Y. Really looking to pump the numbers up of that before we get started with the season in a couple of weeks' time. So, yep, as Thomas said, capital U, number one, lowercase n, capital A, capital Y. Come join us for a bit of competitive fun. Yep. Uh, so, in our previous two episodes... In the first one, we just sort of reacted to the game, looked at the rules, looked at new rules and the old ones. Then in the last episode, we gave you our Ten Commandments and then some pricing brackets for players and then went into structures for how you could set up your team for a bit more of an advanced look at it. Mm-hmm. On, today episode, on today's episode, we will be uh, helping you pick players for your Fantasy Football Scotland drafts, where we'll be discussing the sort of more general breakdown of how we look at players before going into some more positionally specific discussion um, and highlight the stats that we place a greater value on dependent on their position. We also have a wee surprise for you that we hope uh, will come in useful, come in, come in useful, come in use. Come in we'll use, ha- come, in, come in handy, I don't know. Provide you with use before the start of the season. Um, more on that later. And finally, before we close out the episode with a few questions, We'll be having some informal big hitter discussion where we compare the big hitters in each position, be it defence, midfield or attack, kind of as a way to offer suggestions for different players, but also just as a sort of insight as to how myself and Thomas approach looking at players and the sort of things we we value per- personally. Anyways, on with the episode. So in this segment, we'll be talking about how we try to aim to pick players. Mm-hmm. So first of all, we'll do a sort of general overlook on how we do it and then go position by position. So first of all, this relates back to the third commandment from last episode. And it was to pick players that play 80 minutes or more consistently for prolonged periods of time throughout the season. This is just so it can sort of help with picking up clean sheet points yeah. and then also gives them a greater chance to have those 40 passes or three hit tackles absolutely i think that playing picking players that play you know 80 minutes plus is most important as you don't want to fall victim to having your defenders clean sheet points unaccounted for as a result of them getting subbed off before the 60 minute mark and as thomas said um the more time a player has on a pitch the more the, the increased likelihood of returns in the attacking um third so absolutely uh, right up there is uh making sure you're picking players who are playing consistently and for almost the whole game. We're basing this on historical data. Uh, We're looking at appearances from players for their respective teams last season, which means that at least in the beginning, um, whilst new players bed in, we are going to overall avoid bringing in players transferred from other leagues into SPFL or players that have been on the move within the SPFL as it's unclear um, if they'll be given starts in their new team or what time 
yeah, the player might de- uh, the manager might decide to hook them. Again, you'd sort of take that with a grain of salt because if Lionel Messi was to move to Celtic or Rangers, you're not going to go, oh, I might not have him because he might not. He's yeah. going to be starting every game pretty much. But as a general rule of thumb, avoid teams that have transferred in. Yeah. And then sort of to tie in with the next part, I try to sort of avoid teams that have just been promoted. Yeah. So that's the next one is look at the teams that they play for. Yeah, absolutely. The better the team, the better the players, the more likely they are to score points. For example, a Hib striker is going to score more points than, I was about to say Kilmarnock, but they're not in the league anymore. Yeah. More likely to score more goals than the yeah. Dundee Football Club striker. Absolutely. I mean, this is this, this rule isn't hard and fast. You will have value picks from teams that are lower down in the league. Um, but overall, you'll likely want players from teams that will likely have good seasons because good seasons tend to mean more goals scored and more clean sheets kept. And yes, as Thomas said, you want to make sure you're limiting picks from newly promoted sides. That doesn't mean to say have none. You know, have one or two punts in there. Or, you know, if you've got your eyes, eyes on a player like Charlie Adam or Liam Boyce, yep. then fair enough, go for it. But by and large, it's unclear how they will perform with regards to the stay-helping competition, having come up from a team, uh, from a league where yeah. it's less competitive, the and quality of players is lower. Having, especially if you go for six of their players, that's a huge, huge risk, because now you've taken a punt on six players yeah. who, for all we know, looked good at championship level, but they're just not cut out at the premiership. Sure. Happens in every league, and yeah. Scotland is no different. On the flip side to this coin is, so you're not just looking at the teams that they play for, but who are they going to be playing against? Um, generally speaking, we want to pick players uh, from strong teams who have healthy runs of fixtures, i.e. playing versus worse teams, as there, in, exi- there, uh, as there exists the increased likelihood of clean sheets and returns. So we've outlined a couple of examples of, play- of teams that have good fixture runs who you might want to divert your attention towards. So it goes without saying, you know, the two best teams... In the league, Celtic and Rangers have fairly favourable fixtures. Oh, I say very favourable fixtures yeah. all the way up until the first game. old firm. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's quite early on. I think the first old firm yeah. game week four. But like around those, they'll be favourites to win home, home and away against the vast majority of other teams in the league. So if you're heading into game week one with one or none old firm players, we think you're probably making a mistake. Yeah. Yep. Another good team to aim for is Aberdeen. They have a pretty good run of fixtures up until they play I believe Celtic at home yeah. on game week 8 but yeah. that's 7 fixtures where they've got a solid solid fixture yeah. uh, uh, opposition playing at home quite a few times another one is St Johnston again first 4 game weeks all seem relatively smooth then they do play Rangers on game week 5 mm-hmm. and Aberdeen and Hibs the following 2 yeah. so maybe sort of try and manoeuvre your way out of St. Johnson players for that But time. at least in the, in the early going, St. Johnson looked like they have a, a healthy run of fixtures um, and we will probably look to build on the form that led them to two cup final victories and a top six finish. And the last but not least is Hibs. I don't think we mentioned Hibs. Hibs have a nice run of fixtures in the early going and in a similar vein to Celtic Rangers and Aberdeen, you could consider them one of the top teams in the league. Therefore, you're more likely to pick up players from them. So after looking at the you know, their appearances and minutes per appearance, and then the teams that they play for and are playing against, we start to consider things like a player's position, um, whereby a player's average playing position will influence your decisions, uh, particularly when it comes to the picking of defenders or midfielders. Um, for example, the two sort of discussions, I guess, would be between a wing-back versus a full-back or a centre-back, and then in, mid- in midfield, uh, your defensive midfielder, 
your shots are the guy, guy who just passes side to side or provides ball for the creative players versus your wingers, players that are more likely to put balls into the box. Or just themselves be, get in the yeah. box. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, and the thinking behind this is that players that play further up the pitch are far more likely um, to return um, by nature of them completing actions closer to the goal. Yeah. So I actually have outlined one example here uh, where I compared two similarly priced defenders playing for the same team, uh, Porteous and Doig. So uh, I think Doig is 3.1 million and Porteous is 3 million. Um, they have so yeah similar prices. Uh, their defensive numbers are fairly equitable as well. I'm just going to quickly pull them up. Uh, they played a similar number of games. Porteous recorded 34 and 28. They played for a team with the they played for the same team. So the clean sheet percentage across the season for that team was for Hibs was 39.5 percent. So the same number there. Yep. Their total completed defensive actions uh, per 90 was 3.1 for uh, Ryan Porteous and 2.9 for Josh Doig, so very similar. But where they differ actually comes in the attacking third of the pitch, so if you were to look at them through this through this vein, you would notice that Josh Doig takes off more than twice as many shots, three times as many shots um, in the penalty area, and recorded a higher assist per 90 and goals per 90 over the season. So, you know, this is just one example of how you would deliberate between two players playing the same position. I think, for, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know what you think, Thomas, I think it's fairly obvious if you've got a player who is likely to record the same number of clean sheets based on the fact they play the same team, you're yep. always going to favour, particularly in the case of the defender, the one that has the attacking upside are more likely to return in the final third of the field. Yep, uh... Point I would like to make is yes, you can sort of try to target the target men of the team. So for Celtic last season, when he wasn't injured, Christopher Julian was the target. But you're better off, I feel, sort of targeting the free kick taker because yeah. regardless of who scores the header, he'll get the assist. Mm. Whereas if the ball goes into the box, one of eight players could head the ball or like attack sure. the ball. So I feel maybe sort of targeting free kick takers would be better than picking the actual defenders because yeah. we both looked at it and only two or three players really or defensive players had that high a defense like a, an offensive output they yeah. were Borna Barisic Tavernier and then maybe Goldson yeah I mean there's some some other defenders had reasonable seasons from an attacking perspective but yeah do you just a quick question before we Move on. Move on to the next wee bit. Has the change in point scoring changed the way that you look at defensive picks? Or are you always going to go with a defender with a higher attacking upside than your typical, like, your 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 stopper, the guy who's going to get tackles, interceptions, he's going to cl- make clearances, he might get up uh, for corners? Yeah, definitely, just because I feel... I, I, I looked at it and I think it was McGinn for Hibs had scored like three goal involvements but had 21 points from defensive action involvement mm. so for me that defensive action involvement is now three or four extra goals scored over and above what he would have done mm. so interesting so you'd say it's kind of equitable yeah it, would, it really depends on which team they play for mm-hmm. i feel just because of how teams defend how they press and all that fun stuff they're set up as well like if yeah. they're to play three at the back that means that the wing backs are likely to push further forward than Yep. Team say playing for the back. Yep. 
Anyways, you start to talk a wee bit about set pieces. Uh, that's the sort of fourth and final, more general thing that we look for when it comes to picking players is does a player take set pieces and if so which set pieces um, again the reason for this is is they're given extra opportunities throughout the game uh, to record uh, returns in the attacking third um, the perfect example of this was McGrath whilst he was you know not necessarily an attacking attacking midfielder he recorded a fantastic number of goals last season purely not purely but by and large, because he was on penalties for St. Mirren. Yep. So if you are, again, tossing up between, I don't know, say, McGrath and Kilty, who's a uh, midfielder who does have a reasonable amount of attacking output, you would tend to favour McGrath here whilst they play for the same team or similarly priced because he is on penalties and therefore is almost guaranteed five, six goals a season just from taking the spot kicks. Um where a player who one might compare him to would not be doing so. Yeah. Anyways, that's the discussion on sort of more general... What's the word I'm looking for here? More Parameters? Gen- yeah, parameters when it comes to looking at set, pe- uh, set pieces at players. Let's break it down by position a little bit. So, Thomas, do you want to kick us off with the goalkeepers? What stats you're lo- using to scout? Scout in inverted bracket commas. Yeah. Uh, Re- for goalkeepers, it's really basic. Yeah. You have three things that really sort of affect your selection or your ability to select them. Is their percentage clean sheets from the last season. Mm-hmm. You then also have the number of saves that they made. Last year, that wasn't even relevant because yeah. there was no save points. But as we've discussed in previous episodes, that's now been introduced. So. Yeah number of saves and how then many, how many points was it sorry for how many saves per point it was three saves for every one point yeah so you're looking for a keeper that's making a lot of saves and his team's keeping on clean sheets because i think we used fb ref was it not yes for the goalkeeping stats and if you go and sort just purely by say um number of saves i think Laidlaw, the ross county keeper mm-hmm. is right up there in terms of uh number of saves for the season however ross county kept a fairly low amount of clean sheets so you're going to avoid him you're trying to combine the two you know if you i mean you're going to go on to mention it now but price is the last thing well i'm looking at this i think there actually might be two you've got your price so both me and harry are not trying to really invest in our goalkeepers because there's a limit to how many points that they can make in a season just purely off of the their inability to get attacking returns yeah the ceiling on goalkeepers is much lower than other positions, I think. Even with the added saves points. Yeah, so we're aiming to sort of not spend too much on them. But another thing is that the team they play for, let's say you've got three Hibs players, you're not going to be able to then pick up Macy if you want him in your team. Or mm. if you've got three Aberdeen players, you're not going to pick up Joe, Joe Lewis. So four factors, maybe. Yeah, if I would say the inverse is true as well. Like I don't know about you, but I don't plan on holding either of the old firm keepers because I want that to have that option throughout the season of being able to triple up on outfield. one of your be- yeah mm. outfield on the the old firm players because um, last season I think among defenders, midfielders, and attackers, the old firm dominated in terms of points received. So I think for out- outfield players, where I think Joe Lewis was top for keepers, followed by McGregor. McGregor. Or maybe those two were switched about. And that was before save points were added in. So I think we'll see a lot more value coming from those keepers that they might not be playing for the best teams and might not be keeping the most clean sheets compared to your Aberdeen, Celtics and 
Rangers, but when you could, like on the days that they do keep clean sheets, they'll score score quite highly. You know, on occasions, double points, uh, double double figures for points, based on the fact that they've managed to make so many saves, maybe a crew bonus as a result, and then keep a clean sheet. Yeah, or maybe even save the penalty. But again, there these extra returns, I believe, are just so fleeting that yeah. it's not worth stressing too much about. Yeah, I personally feel. Anyway, on to defenders. Okay, so in a similar fashion to the goalkeepers, one of the first things that we're looking at in terms of statistics for defenders is the clean sheet percentage of the team that they are playing for um, from last season. Outside of this, uh, as we brief- briefly alluded to previously, we're looking at a combination of their attacking and passing stats You know, with regards to completed crosses or completed free kicks, um, shots in the box, etc., with their defensive actions being tackles and interceptions. Um, this generally like before before they changed how it was scored, I used to heavily favour defenders that produced in the final third of the pitch, but the scoring has really pushed me and I don't know maybe maybe you as well, Thomas, to weight defensive actions per ninety closely with that of the attacking and passing statistics. Um, so whilst we did mention previously about how you know if you compare Porteous to Doig, you're going to go with Doig because of his uh. His offensive output. output. You can have a similar discussion in in, in the inverse. I think Conor Goldson uh, records uh, comparing Conor Goldson and Barisic is relevant for the inverse based on the fact that uh, he makes more uh, interceptions and uh, tackles, tackles, which will potentially boost his points. I mean, I guess we'll see as the season unfolds how much value there is in those players who are not necessarily aiding the final third, but cleaning up at the back. Midfield, Thomas? Yes, so again, just as a result of midfielders only receiving one point for the clean sheets, that isn't really too much of a focus here. For this, mainly we're focusing on attacking stats. So this is key passes, shots in the box, and then accurate corners, crosses, and free kicks. uh, Because this is pretty much how likely are they going to get an attacking return yeah. like an assist or a goal because yeah. if you're on corners you get a free attempt pretty much at picking someone's head same with penalties and free kicks mm-hmm. not, well not penalties but you get a free free shot pretty much um, the, this is then supplemented by the pass, complete, pass completed scoring so for every 40 passes get an extra point this is only for midfielders so this I feel makes a player like Cal McGregor more viable. More viable, and then they also do get the defensive action points. So one point for every three tackles and one point for every three yeah. uh, interceptions. And again, this can you can change how you pick a midfield depending on the team they play for. Because yeah. if the team sits eleven players behind the ball, mm. then they're just the midfield players are also likely to get those interceptions and tackle points. However, if they get the ball and then punt it, they're yeah. ju- they're not going to get those passing points. So you have to wait how likely they are to complete these passes, yep. and how likely they are to complete their defensive actions. Yeah, I think it's worth noting that whilst uh, these changes to the scoring that we're talking about, you know, the points for the three tackles per ninety or per game, or three interceptions per game, and the one point for every forty passes completed, have. Um, 
increase the value of a less attack-minded midfielders such as your Gogiches and your Ryan Jacks. Um, but at the time of writing, I think we still are leading towards midfielders who play closer to the goal and have increased likelihood of recording attacking turns. Those would be your attacking midfielders, your wingers, etc., etc. Um, and potentially when you're starting to look at value picks, you might be leading towards players that are going to be picking you up the added points for the defensive mm-hmm. actions or passes completed. Yeah, or like for the midfielders who are coming on for the bench trick, if yep. they've... If they're the type of player that regularly gets those defensive actions plus passing and then scores, that's a nine-point game and then they can just come on for your bench. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At, at the moment, still waiting attacking returns uh, higher than... Yeah, very heavily, yes. Yeah. Last but not least are the forwards. Um, Thomas has put in the notes here, K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. And I have to say, I, I by and large agree. The three stats that we are putting a heavy amount of preference on are shots in the box shots on target and uh, key passes as they are all three of these indicate likelihood of uh, goal involvement shooting is another area where in which the scoring rules have changed this year between last uh, last season and this season um, where recording more than three shots on target earns you an extra point however this hasn't really reframed our perspective with regards to picking players as uh, Odson Edward was the player who had the most shots on target of players that played 20, 25 games or more with an average appearance, minutes per appearance greater than 60, with only two shots on target per game. Under the same metrics, I think second place was 1.3 shots on target per 90, so I really don't think that you'll be accruing a lot of points um, through this metric, and the only reason that we're including the shots on target is, as I said, it's indicative of the likelihood of goal involvement of your striker. Well, I will say for this extra point is it pretty much guarantees you an extra three points for if your player scores a hat-trick because you'll get the goal points, you'll then get the two hat-trick yeah. points plus the three shots on target, sure. which is... That, that sort of thing is once a season, though, yeah. Yeah, once or twice a season. So, yeah, I'm not banking on shots on target as a regular stream of points. No. Nope. Um, something I had considered was using the statistics to steer me away from players. I think when it comes to looking at forwards, I'd be less likely to pick a forward that does well for completed crosses, corners and free kicks, because to me that suggests that they are playing outside the box and putting balls into the box, as opposed to being a striker on the end of a cross. So they would be out of position in the opposite direction to what you want. They're playing further away from goal, potentially, you might want. Anyways, I think that's more or less our discussion with regards to how we are picking players um next we'll be unveiling a little bit of a surprise we've been working on over the past couple of weeks for those wondering where we're getting these stats from we've got a wee surprise for you Mm -hmm. so we've been getting all these stats from whoscored.com but over the past week week or so week and a half yeah week and a half i'd say we have been getting all the numbers into a small google sheets document with every player, their price, the team they play for, and then the metrics which we believe could be somewhat helpful with yeah. regards to picking these players. Yeah, for the for example, for you know the midfielders, we have the things like the passes completed um, per 90, so that'll give you an idea of what players you could not necessarily predict. I mean, to a reasonable degree, you'll be predicting which ones are going to be scoring the points for 40 passes completed. For your defenders, you've got, you know, I mean, for all of them, I think, actually, you've got 
completed defensive actions, yep. interceptions and tackles. So hopefully that's going to help you guys look through players from a statistics per perspective um, and help you pick players. However, there are a few things we want to highlight. highlight. So first of all, um, this won't be... This database won't be including stats from teams just promoted to the Scottish Premier League or stats from players who played in steps below the Premier League in Scotland um, who went out on loan and have returned to their parent clubs based on the fact that the data doesn't really exist or at least we've struggled to find anything. In the case of Hearts and Dundee, what we suggest you do if you're looking for some statistical analysis, some insights to these two teams coming up with their assets is head to at FPL Maz's Twitter account where he has a thread breaking down the two teams and what he thinks with regards to fantasy football picks. Yes. The second thing is, is this is the first thing we've ever done like this. We have no experience with anything like this. So there may be mistakes or inaccuracies yeah. or things that we've forgotten to put in and whatnot yeah no definitely when it came to I, I, as we were doing this it was growing arms and legs and changing shape and we had to go back in and add different statistics yep. that we thought were relevant um so what's the what's the word caveat we are amateurs nice. uh, and this is the first database that we've made related to football stats um so beware for mistakes and inaccuracies. however I, I would say overall it's not particularly you'd have to be too worried no uh, and finally, we haven't updated it over the last three or four days to include transfers uh, that have just happened. That have or... just happened, yep. Um, so the plan is to update that as we go along. Um, so if, if you if you see that we're missing a couple of players, that's just because we haven't got around to adding them in yet. Um, and I think the final thing I w- is worth mentioning is that on whoscore.com, they only round to one decimal place. So when you're looking at, say, shots in the box for a defender who's typically going to record... I don't know, less than less than one, so 0. 0.9, 0. 0.8. 0. 0. 0. 0.0001 is weighted the same as 0. 0.09. So yeah. two two players may ha- may look like they have the same number of shots in the box, whereas statistically, if you multiply that by 38 games across the season, it, there is a reasonable difference. Yeah. Um. So it's just worth noting that it's not going to be particularly accurate as the stats have been limited to one decimal place. But apart from that, I mean, I found it useful so far having like being being able to glean an understanding of what the different players do in their respective teams. And it's also for me highlighted sort of a couple of surprise packages yes. that I'm actually also trying yes. to wrangle into my team. Yep, agreed. Agreed. So the plan is to make this database uh, public uh, upon release of the episode. Uh, so make sure you head to our Twitter at sffancycom um, to get the link for the view only. Yeah, for the view only link of the Google Docs. So now we'll be moving on to a little bit of discussion with regards to the big hitting players in the different positions of defence, midfield and uh, attack. And to do this, we will be, both of us have the stats on hand, we have the database right in front of us, and we'll be going through from each category and rating the big the big hitters essentially, um, and explain a little of our, our thinking behind it. So Thomas, if you'd like to get the ball rolling... Are you on forwards or defenders just now? I'm looking at forwards just now. Okay, we'll start there, Thomas. I want you to rate your top three big hitting attackers using the stats in front of you. It gives a bit of explanation as to why you prefer this person. And maybe if you're making a notable omission, let us know why. Big hitter number one. If he stays, it's got to be odds on Edward. But big if. Mm -hmm. Because there is 
rumours of him wanting to move down south, which again is completely understandable. He has been the best striker. When I say best striker, I mean he's been the best finisher. He has scored the most goals what for the last three, four seasons in Scotland. Yeah. Pretty much since Dembele left Celtic. Yep. Then for me in second place, based on the fact that he is nearly two million cheaper than them, is Kevin Nisbet. Yep. Just because he starts pretty much every game for Hibs mm-hmm. and he scores a lot of goals for them. Mm-hmm. So it's again six point two, super cheap. Then number three I'm going to go with a joint of Kamar Roof and Lawrence Shankland. Yeah, you put Shankland up that high. How come? At only 5.5 million, that makes him pretty much the cheapest the big hitter can be. But he also had a bad start, a a bad season last season by probably his own standards. Yep. But if he can find his footing, I suppose, he could be very big danger man. Uh... And again, up top with Nicky Clark, good partnership. So yeah. he's, I think they're bound for quite a few goals. And then I said Roof ahead of Morelos because although he played fewer games, he is cheaper and he had more goals and more goal involvements with 14 goals and three assists compared to Morelos's 12 goals and four assists. Yeah, uh so that you named your top three? Top three with a... I, I, I'm in a similar boat to you. So first of all, start by comparing Odson Edward and Alfredo Morelos. For me, the clear favourite from those two is Odson Edward. First of all, he made more appearances and on average played more minutes per appearance. His um, combined goals and assists per 90 um, was about 1. Uh, 0.15 higher than Morelos's. In addition to this, his other underlyings are particularly favourable. So... Um, Edward takes 4.2 shots per 90 compared to Morales' 3.4 um, with 3.3 shots in the box to 2.7 and then again when I go and compare Morelos to Kamar Roof I would favour Roof whilst he, uh, Morelos played more appearances and his minutes per appearance was higher as you r- rightly mentioned Kamar Roof's assists and goals per 90 was much higher Alfredo Morales was 0.69, with Roofs being 0.98. Only caveat to this, I would say, is that Alfredo Morales's underlyings were a touch better than Roofs. So I just want to keep an eye on. So at the moment, I've got Ed- Edouard number one. Number two, Kamar no- Roof? Nah, not, num- not, not number two. Okay. I think, same as you again, this is not particularly exciting, but Nisbet, he's nailed on to start, unless yep. he also moves south of the border. Recorded 14 goals and two assists, uh, much higher than his striking counterpart, um, Christian Doidge. Uh, he also recorded a healthy number of shots and uh, shots in the box per 90. So, Nisbet number two, good value, I think, as well at 6.2. And then, last, number three, I think it would have to be. I'm going to say Kamar Roof at number three for the reasons that we mentioned previously. I think that whilst Morelos is more likely to play minutes than Roof, for me, you're making a decision between Edward and Morelos. It's Edward there. And then you're now looking at the, the difference in what you're paying for between uh, Roof and Morelos. 7.2 mil for Kamar Roof, 8 for Morelos makes uh, Kamar Roof the pick here. Yep. So one Edward, two Nisbet, three Roof. 
I was the same, except I had Shank, Shank the blank at joint third. <laughs> <laughs> right, Moving on field. to midfield, yes. I'll I'll kick us off this one. Number one, David Turnbull. His uh, passing stats, his creative stats, are pretty pretty phenomenal. I think it's three point seven key passes per ninety. Um, when playing for Celtic, this doesn't include his motherwell stats from the five games he played at the start of the season. He makes two point eight accurate corners per 90, 2.3 accurate crosses per 90. And in addition to this, of the top five, yeah, the top five premium picks, he made the most penalty area shots, or sorry, shots in the box, and uh, yeah, most shots in the box at 1.8. Second place from the top five would be Martin Boyle at 1.6, where, and I would say his stats might be slightly inflated on account of him playing striker over a few games that season which leads me nicely into my number two pick that would be martin boyle based on the fact that <laughs> he if george isn't starting he'll be playing striker and if not he'll be playing very advanced on the wing uh last season he notched 12 goals and six assists that's a higher yeah that's a, a, a strong number very close to that of ryan kent ryan kent recorded uh i think it was 0.56 goals and assists per 90 with boyles at 0.51 however you are saving yourself 0.6 million so i think martin boyle is better value than ryan kent and finally if he gets the minutes it's yannis haggy for me of the three of those picks there he's the cheapest and yep. he recorded a very similar number of goals and assists to ryan kent but in much less time so his goals and assists per 90 were 0.82 compared to kent's 0.56 he made more shots than Kent. Uh, he made more shots in the box than Kent. And their uh, passing stats are very comparable as well. So for me, it goes Turnbull first, Boyle second, Haggy third. Right, okay. So mine, again, probably aren't going to be too dissimilar just based off of the numbers. I feel like Kent is just a bit too expensive at 6.6 and again it's the same for Christie and Forrest just because they didn't have enough of an attacking output for me at one I'm going to be a bit controversial and say Haggy although he didn't play loads and loads of minutes he was he is by far and away the highest goals and assists per 90 he is he get he registers 0.82 and then the next closest is at 0.61 and for such a cheap price yeah for me it's just worth it and moving on to my second pick is the player who was the next for goals and assists which is david turnbull mm -hmm. he registered 0.61 goals and assists per 90 and as harry said his creative numbers are pretty nuts he does take corners for celtic I also believe he takes the closer free kicks, so he's likely to shoot from those. And yeah, as we stated previously, pick players from the better teams, especially if they're the offensive ones, because a good team scores more goals usually. Yep. And whilst his minutes per appearance were lo is, is is lower compared to other premiums, it's worth noting that he was let out of the lineup for a considerable uh, the starting lineup at the beginning of the season. He then came into some form off the bench and then started to play regularly. So whilst his minutes per appearance are low, I would say that that is set to change this season in a big way. I think he'll yep. be Celtic's key attacking outlet. Number three? I'm going to go 
same. Uh, our top three are the same as in Martin Boyle. I just find that out of the big hitters, yeah, Ryan Kent. Ryan Kent probably comes in fourth for me, but I'm just so put off by that huge price tag mm. of six point six. It means I really have to sacrifice elsewhere. Yeah. So for me, in third, it's Martin Boyle yep. again. Plays just under ninety minutes on average a game. Made thirty six appearances for Hibs and was just involved in everything Hibs going forward. Yeah. Uh, that's really it. Does Nisbet leaving Hibs make Boyle more or less attractive to you? More. I think I know why, but go on. Why do you think so? Because in my head, he's then going to be playing as their striker. Yeah. Yep. And those six assists that he's got turn into goals, pretty much. Yeah, I would say something similar. All right, last but not least, defence. Thomas, who are your top three? Number one has to be James Tavernier. We discussed previously that we might not pick him. But I think we were talking about it at the start of watching like a preseason game. The preseason game against Arsenal in the first fifteen minutes, he whips in an unbelievable ball. Yeah, for I think it was Balogun, Balogun to, yeah. who rise up, uh, rose up to meet that, and then also Pat, in the second half, Patterson came onto the park. Rangers went to a back three, and Tavernier was playing it right mid. So it's like it's just so hard to look past him, even though there's that six point five. What I will say, just as a brief hint is people who went goals and Barisic there's a way to sort of change it so you can still have two good old farm defenders in James Tavernier and Greg Taylor yeah it's hard and then we're looking at the stats as well yeah it just across across all of them goals and assists you know cracking defensive actions per 93.1 he's one of the better ones out of all of the uh, premium players accurate crosses and corners he's second for Key passes, he's second four. Penalty area shots, he's top four. Shots in the box, yeah. Shots in the box, he's top four. And then his goals plus assists per 90. Is that of essentially a midfielder? Yeah. 0.65, like that's higher than Boyle's. That's similar to... That's higher than David Turnbull's. Yeah, I think. I, it's, it's like you put Tav in your team and then you start building around him. Like yep. I just can't, I can't see a way to not having him. Yes, definitely. Because 21 goal involvements last season... Is just nuts. I think is there Edward. I think Edward got twenty two. Yeah, and I think he's in second place. And then you've got a defender with the second most offensive actions, yep. which is just absolutely nuts. Number two, Thomas. Connor Goldson. Uh, Born of Barisic. Yeah, Barisic. Okay, why? No, I'm actually flip flopping again and saying Connor Goldson. Okay, fine. Why? why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Although I said to discount players because they're like targets in the box, Connor Goldson is definitely one of those. But also he is one of Rangers' sort of more defensively active players outside of Tavernier. And played every single minute of every single game in the league. Yeah, he played, yeah. Fair enough. And then three, Thomas? Three would be a fit Christopher Julian, but... yeah. Again, he's a bit brittle. Yeah, a bit like glass. He just like looking in the nine games that he played, he had something like yeah. So he had one point one one point one shots in the penalty box a game. Yeah, I mean he's striking numbers like that's that's very good. The only player who has higher than that in the defenders is James Tavernier. Yep. Okay, so one Tav. Two Goldson, three Julian. Yep. For me, uh, for the I mean, you heard me gushing a second ago about why Tavernier must be in everyone's team. 
straight in at number one. I think he could be even more expensive, and I would still put him in. Like if he's on penalties again this season, it's an it's an absolute no brainer. If he's playing it right mid for periods of the season as well, absolute no brainer. So we'll end the discussion on him right there. For me, I'm going for Borna Barisic over Goldson. Uh, I think his passing stats are unbelievable with three completed crosses per 90, 1.4 accurate corners and 2.2 key passes. I think uh, if he starts, we're going to see him evolve a lot of goals for, from a creative standpoint, you know, uh, provider as opposed to scorer. And I think that Connor Goldson, whilst he is going to be in there for the clean sheets, his def- like completed def- defensive actions is not that high. Like I don't mm. see it amounting to a, a substantial amount of points. And in fact, it's lower than Barisic. Huh. And I would say, finally... It is tough considering how few big yeah, hitters there is many, in defence. I think, yeah, because Paul McGinn and Greg Taylor fall just outside, I think. Yeah. I, I, I was mean, looking at that there. I think even I'll... if they are... I think they fall out by 0.1 million because I was think I was tempted to put Greg Taylor just because in his 26 games he had five assists, yeah. bombing up the wing, 1.6 yeah. key passes per 90. That's third best out of the regularly playing defenders behind Borna Barisic and James Townier. Fine, he's going to be mine. Even uh, though I don't know if he's a premium. I think yeah, Greg Taylor. I just I'm worried about Celtic defenders based on the sort of style of football that it seems that Ange Postecoglou. Yeah. Possibly. Likes to play, very attacking-minded, so I think we'll see Celtic maybe shipping a few go- few more goals. As well as currently only having Anthony Ralston right back. Yeah, so I think Tav 1, Barisic 2. Number 3, Philip Hollander, just the cheapest way into the Rangers back four. There we go. There you go. At 4 million, I think he can be good value for clean sheets and completes a reasonable number of defensive actions per 90. All right, some questions before we close out the podcast. Uh, as we mentioned, we said we were going to answer a few questions from our email submissions. And this week, at Brendan Wilhide, that's at Brendan Wilhide, emailed us a couple of questions, and we're going to answer them here first. First one, will you be starting a Fantasy Football Scotland League for the pod? Answer, yes. We already have one up, in fact, um, and I'm going to re- repeat the league code. It is capital U, one, lowercase n, capital A, capital Y. So as we said, we're hoping... Of hitting, I don't know, 50 people in the league before the start of the season. So two two more weeks to get the, those numbers jumped up. And another question that we uh, he asked that's really had me thinking all week is, uh, can you each name one player you think is being undervalued and undervalued headed into the 2021-2022 season? Thomas, kick us off. I'm actually tempted to just go and name one for each position. All right, go for it. No, and by each position, I'm excluding goalkeeper okay. because... As we and Harry have previously mentioned, we don't really care about goalkeepers. <laughs> Defence task. Uh. Defence. I have Aberdeen defender Jack Gurr at only 2.5 milli. Okay. Um, reading Aberdeen's match report against, I think it was St. Johnston they had a friendly. Okay. Yep. He was constantly putting balls into the box. He was on free kicks and he was on corners. And it looks like Aberdeen are playing the back three, so he'll be maybe left side of defence there, getting up and down the wing. Left side, right side? I don't remember. But One yeah, of the sides. Jack Gar. So I'll do mine then. Defence. Uh, as it stands, Tony Ralston. Uh, I know Celtic are meant to be in for another right back, but right now he is the starting right back at 2.2 million. Uh, if he nails down a starting position, then that is unbelievable value. Getting into an old firm defence for 2.2 million is almost unheard of. Um, so Ralston for me in defence. Then in midfield, 
I've been banging on about this guy for to Harry for the past couple of weeks, and for me, it is Ryan Hedges. Okay. Just, he's 4.9 million. That is 1 million cheaper than Yanis Hagi, and just over 1 million less than Boyle and Turnbull. And he was, he has some nuts, like, creative uh, stats from what I remember. Underlyings, yeah. Yeah, so he had 1.2 accurate crosses per game, 1.1 accurate corners, and 2.1 key passes per 90. I think he is topping a number of, of the premiums as well. So I think now combined with Aberdeen's new strikers, hopefully more of his creative efforts will be turned into into goals. Yep. For me, I think maybe it's a fairly bland answer, not one that's particularly exciting. But it is uh, Jamie McGrath. At 4.2 million, a player who's going to get almost 90 minutes a game for the ginormous part of the season. He's on penalties and recorded 10 goals last season. I think at 4.2 mil, Jamie McGrath is going to provide himself as an absolute steal again this season. Um, yeah, not too much to onto that. The penalties make him so desirable as a pick. He scored just as many goals as Ryan Kent last season. He scored more than Lewis Ferguson or David Turnbull or Yanis Hagi or, or a list of premium players. So I think, yeah. Jim McGrath, undervalued at 4.2 mil. Striker, Harry? I'm going to say oh, undervalued striker. I think Jordan White for Ross County. In the last 12 games of last season, uh, he posted some phenomenal stats. Nine goal uh, nine goal involvements across 12, 12 appearances, uh, along with the underlyings to match. And not only this, he has... Uh, Ross Callahan providing for him so I think we'll see quite a few goals out of Jordan White next season and at 4.5 million that really is a steal um, for my striker choice I'm going a bit out there and it's really sort of dependent on stuff happens I'm going to say Albina Yeti okay. it seems like Ange Postacoglu wants to have him as his striker mm. uh, from looking at how Celtic have been playing pre-season Actually, he even got the captain's armband on the first game. Yeah, he scored twice, I think, too. He scored twice. Looked a bit chubby last season, but who did under Neil Lennon? <laughs> uh, and he looks at 5.7 million for an old firm striker who's potentially going to play most of their games. That, for me, is just incredibly cheap. Yeah, I, I, I'm in the same boat as you, Thomas. I think if Odds Edward is a way to leave as well, all of a sudden, Ayete's in the team like that. Yep. I don't think it takes too much thought. All right, I hope that answers your question. Brendan, uh, if you've got any, if there's anyone else listening who'd like to submit some questions ahead of next week's podcast, uh, email us at uh, scottishfantasycommunity at gmail.com or just at us on Twitter, you know, reply to the tweet that links you to this episode and we'll try and get some of those answered on next week's episode. So finally, before we go, I'm quickly going to plug all our social medias and streaming platforms. So again, you can find us on Spotify and YouTube just by searching up the Scottish Fantasy Football Community Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at sffantasycom or on Reddit at r slash sffantasycom. Keep your eyes peeled on our Twitter for the release of our database. That'll be going up shortly after this episode has, so eyes peeled. Um, remember to join our mini-league. The code for that is capital U1, lowercase n, capital A, capital Y. And... We'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.